0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Yeah, what oh, a big week coming up at City on a Hill. I'm uh, excited just to, to be around all this excitement and energy, knowing that the Lord is at work. And I certainly appreciate the word about the Lord's table. And uh, I may just borrow all that from my own teaching at my own church, or I may just have Pastor Linda come and explain it, because such passion she feels for baptism, and a lot of people, they don't don't see that, and uh, I I just want to say congratulations and a word of encouragement to all who uh, are part of the 18, you said, so all part of that 18, and who knows, maybe you're the 19th, and you just don't know it, but the Lord's working in your heart, but congratulations to all you who will be going under the waters of baptism next week, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Well, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Tom Richter, and I get to be part of the uh, teaching team here at City on a Hill, and it's a great blessing to be part of the City on a Hill extended family. I pastor a church in Queens, and we are, if you've been here, we are going through a series called The Quest. It's a series about the book of Ecclesiastes. And today has the advantage and possible disadvantage of being one of the most famous scriptures in the whole Bible. The reason I say it's an advantage is you'll immediately know it. The reason I say it's a disadvantage, sometimes we know things so well that we fail to really like think about what they actually mean. It can be a disadvantage. There can be a kind of staleness. And we've been going through Ecclesiastes. Guy Solomon has all this wisdom and he says, all right, I'm going to track down. What are the philosophies of life? Are they going to get us where we want to be? So he talks about humanism. He talks about hedonism. Then in chapter two, he goes on this grand experiment where he says, whatever you think is going to find fulfillment... I'm going to try it. And we're just going to see if fulfillment can be found. And he comes to this place where he says, look, if all there is in life is what's under the sun, it's, it's, it's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. We need to live life beyond the sun. And even though we're 3,000 years later, if you were here last week, you know, we still haven't learned this lesson. I was eating. If you weren't here last week, I ate a bag of Lay's potato chips. Not during the sermon, though. So. Note to self, uh, for future sermons, that's how I prepare, Bible reading, prayer, and trans fats, that's how I prepare, that's my, everybody has a, has a ritual. Uh, anywho, on the back of the latest Potato Chips this summer, you can win everything under the sun, it's like we're still chasing, and what he's saying is, so what? So what if you get everything under the sun? So what if you get what your heart desires? Is what your heart desiring going to get you to where you want to be? Is it going to get you ultimate peace and ultimate calmness, and that serenity before God? And Solomon is here saying, it's not going to happen. Now, today we come to, like I said, what I think may be some of the most famous passages of Scripture. In fact, you may not even know that you know it, but Ecclesiastes chapter 3, can you just finish this? I'll get you started, and you finish this line. I'll prove to you that you know it. You ready? To everything. Yeah, it's It's, it's not, turn, 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 I think is the NIV. Yeah, if you, the, uh. (laughs) That's right. To everything, there is a season. That's exactly right, and a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. That's straight out of Scripture. And so, several years ago, you know that they make a famous song. They just add turn, 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 put Scripture in there, and make a million dollars. Like it's, that's how it works. But yeah, you know this famous poem, this famous passage, Ecclesiastes chapter three. To everything, whoop, I've even got it up here on the screen. There we go. To everything, there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven or every purpose under heaven. And then he goes through it: a time to be born, a time to die, this famous poem, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what's planted, and so forth and so on. Here's the problem with this. Here's the problem with this poem. Because it's so famous, we really cannot preach on this passage without the right lenses with which to view it. And here's what I mean. The words themselves are very simple. And and you already know them. Yeah, there's time to be born, time to die. Yep, everything's got this season. It all makes sense. There's there's really not a lot to explain about this. What you need are the lenses so that you see it properly. Let me explain. My son is coming to the age where he's starting to pick up books of a higher quality of literature. And most recently, he's gotten into that uh, classic, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Enter the Lair. You've probably read it. It's a 3D... Book comes with 3D glasses, and anyway, of course, the 3D glasses lasted six, seven minutes tops, and they were shredded. They were destroyed. Shredder, interestingly, does—he is involved in the book. If, of course, you know the character, it's great literature. Anyway, I'm trying to explain to him about all these Renaissance characters and and, uh, these Ninja Turtles and how they're in a lair, and of course, Splinter is teaching them in an underground dojo in the sewers of New York. It makes sense. But the problem is, I'm getting a headache from this thing. He's got these 3D glasses, and, and, and you're, there's like a, a blue film on one side, a red on the other. And by wearing these, he looks ridiculous. But the book looks awesome. Can you imagine Leonardo coming at you with two katanas? It's great. Un- it's great. The problem is that the glasses are destroyed, they're they're who knows where, and he makes me read it every night. And if you've ever read a 3D book without the glasses, you get this insane headache. It's horrible, right? You with me? And you're right, and I'm sure it looks cool, but the lines are all squiggly and off, and you're kind of like, Carson, I'm going to have a seizure. Read to yourself, right? That's what happens when you come to Ecclesiastes 3. You read this amazing poem, but if you read it with the wrong lenses, you'll just walk out of here dis- distressed and, and with a headache, perhaps, right? You've got to get the right lenses. And here's the lenses I want you to have. These are the lenses. On one end, I want you to see, I want you to look at this scripture through the great lens of the, I don't even have a word for this, the bigness. I know that's not a word. But the ginormity, the humongousness of the glory of God, the majesty and the, just the bigness of the sovereignty of God, and the other lens is the intimate care he has for your life. Okay, and if you've you got those two lenses, you, you're in a good place. Now, you could go almost anywhere for that first lens. The entire Bible speaks of the glory of God. But just... I don't know, Just you could pick, for example, Isaiah 46. I didn't put the verses up here. I'll just read them to you. But Isaiah 46 is as good as any place to talk about the utter enormity of the majesty and the glory of God so that we have the right lenses when we come to this poem in Ecclesiastes 3. And here's what it says. Isaiah 46. If you're a super fast Bible turner, you can turn there, Isaiah 46.8. Otherwise, just, just follow along. You'll get it. Remember this and be brave. Take it to your heart, you transgressors. In other words, what he's saying is, for everybody who is in a fallen world, we've forgotten the glory and the majesty of God. Remember what happened long ago, and this is the declaration of the Lord. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and no one is like me. We tend to think of a smaller version of God, probably because it's more comforting to have a God you can contain. You know, the God in the box just sort of does what you want, kind of sort of God is my personal assistant. You know. But the God of the Bible says, I am God and there is no other. There is no one like me. At best, we think God is like the sum total of all the good human qualities that we see in others. And when you put all the good human characteristics together, together they sort of equal God. And here he's saying, "No, not even close, not a human. Not a human being. He's not like the best human that ever lived. He's just simply not a human being. He's completely different. He he has no equal. He has no opposite. Don't think for a minute that sort of there's God and there's Satan and they're battling out. Satan is his tool. Satan is is his created being, a, 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 a runt punk that ultimately will do his bidding. He's just a rebel. You understand? So God has no equal. God has no opposite. There is none like him. And here he explains I declare the end from the beginning. See, when he says that, I declare the end from the beginning, what does he mean? And from long ago, what's not yet done, saying my plan will take place. I will do all my will. Here's the problem with life. So many times you're going through life and you're making these major decisions and all you can see is the end of your chapter. God sees the end of the book. That's why a lot of people get so discouraged. They think it's the end of the book. It's just the end of the chapter, you know? But God sees the whole book. He sees your life. From once upon a time to happily ever after. He sees the whole thing. It's all laid out. And he already knows what you're going through, what you've gone through, what you will go through. He sees it. He knows it. This is how he views time and eternity. He's like, yep. right." His majesty, his glory. Look at what he said. And then he gives some very simple examples. And I think they're odd examples, but they make sense historically. You know, but for example, just, just a little example. I call a bird of prey from the east. Why do you think that eagle spots a field mouse and oh, comes down? It's because in the eagle's mind, it, no, 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 no. God says, ultimately, I did that. A man from far a man for my purpose from a far country. No, 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 I moved to New York. See, this was my career path. I did this. That's what you think? You're here because God called you here. You may not even recognize that. You may not even know that. But God has done that that that, well I put my food on my table I live by my own hand God saying what are you talking about what are you talking about you know people everybody says well I don't like to feel out of control well listen you're already out of control (laughs) If, if you ever heard somebody say I just lost control no you didn't you lost the illusion of control I was counseling a man this week, and he was like, I was just stressing out about his work and the 401k and retirement and family. That's all good to think about, fine. But he says, you know, I just, I failed this qualifying exam, and I'm not going to get that job, and because of that, I just, you know, I, I don't know, I just want security or whatever. And I was like, you realize, God, if he could text you right now, it would text LOL. Like, like, you realize that? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, okay, say you'd passed. Say you didn't just pass this qualifying exam for your employment. Say you'd gotten 100 out of 100%. How much more secure are you than if you'd failed in the hands of God? What can you do to add to your security? You add to the illusion of control, and you can bolster it, the illusion. But to your security, this is God. He's the, I'm the one behind all this. I am sovereignly overseeing. That is a very important lens. He is sovereignly overseeing every part of the universe. Look at what he says in verse 11. I call a bird of prey, that's an eagle, from the east. You don't believe me? That's Tim Tebow. He was in the East, in New York, and God called him where? To be an eagle, Keith. I thought of that on the way here and thought, do you say it? Do you not? It could be distracting from the sermon, but, but then it's Tebow, so it goes in a sermon. I mean, he's a Christian, so you think about these things a lot when you're eating potato potatoes. Everybody understand? Sovereignty, ultimate sovereignty of God. <clears throat> I personally like to think about the sovereignty of God. I think the bird of prey from the east happens to be the Cyrus who God was using to, whatever. Uh, when I think about the sovereignty of God, for me, it is displayed in the majesty. I like to think about the universe, the solar system. And I don't know if any of you like to geek out on that stuff. But uh, for example, the solar system. Perhaps you were like me. Did anyone forget to do their eighth grade science project and then like two days out be like, oh, and then think, Model of the solar system, right? I'm the only one who did that, really? I can't be. And the big yellow one's the sun. Like, I'm not the only one. So anyway, yeah, you get the styrofoam balls and you lay them out there. Everybody know what I'm talking about? The problem is every model you've ever seen of that is wrong. And I know you're thinking, no, I I know mine was wrong. (laughs) No, 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 I don't mean like wrong order or whatever. The scale was off. Because they can't give you a scale. Like, if you look at a textbook, what they say is, well, here's the sun, and then planets orbit around the sun, and here they are. And they try to show, like, see how much further Jupiter is than Earth or whatever? And so they draw Earth real small, but then Jupiter is, like, really far out compared to the distance from, like, Venus to, say, Earth or whatever. Jupiter's is much... Everybody with me what I'm saying? Here's the thing. If the Earth were the size of a pea, and you just wanted to make a model, we're not even talking about reality. We're just talking about a model. So let's shrink the earth to the size of a pea for our textbook, and let's draw uh, that, okay? <clears throat> so, so how far, then, would, you know, I don't know, J- Jupiter be, let's just say? Yeah, well, Yeah. if the earth were the size of a pea, yeah, then, then just, I'm just saying in your textbook alone, you'd have to unfold the textbook to 1,000 feet, you, basically to Walmart, right down there. And that would be Jupiter. Pluto, you'd have to unfold all the way to the Lecce's house right? Which I believe is on uh, Bartlett Road. I looked up. If anyone wants to go visit them, be like, I heard Pluto was here. I, just, I didn't understand the sermon, but, but it, you, you with me? Proxima Centauri, which our nearest star is the sun, but Proxima Centauri is our second nearest star. That would be Again, in the model, this isn't reality, but if Earth is the size of a pea, your textbook would have to expand to see Proxima Centauri, if you want to put that in your model of the solar system, it's 10,000 miles away. That's like Westchester County. <laughs> that's forever away. You with me? If you could travel at 35,000 miles an hour, that's how fast Voyager 1 and 2 could go, and Uh, uh, some uh, trucks in the LIE. If you could go 35,000 miles an hour uh, and you just said, let's go visit Pluto, it would take you at 35,000 miles an hour. It would take you, and not stopping for breaks, just straight through 35,000 miles an hour, you could reach Pluto. I mean, 35,000 miles an hour, is like that's really fast. But you could reach Pluto in 12 years. And when you get to the end of Pluto, have you reached the edge of our solar system? No. Pluto is one... Fifty-seven thousandth the length to the end of the solar system. One fifty-seven thousand. That's not even a real. That's not even a. That's not even math. That's poetry. At that point, that's like a jo- one bazillion gillion. I mean, you're just making stuff up at that. These are meaningless numbers. That's the solar system, not the galaxy, not the universe. That's just the solar. System. And God's like, Yep. I see the end from the beginning. He's just showing off. I mean, there's there's no, the the sovereignty of God, it knows no end. You ever read, uh, there's a poem by uh, uh, Thomas Gray, uh, Elegy Written in the Country Churchyard, and in that line, it's got this great great little couplet. Uh, Full many a gem of purest ray serene, the dark, unfathomed caves of ocean bear. What that means, the end is not like ocean bear, like a bear that emerges, (laughs) I'm watery bear. Mm, What it means is, when he says that the full many a gem of purest race arraigned, the dark and fathom caves of ocean bear, what he means is the most beautiful diamond in the world, the most glorious jewel in the world, is buried in some ocean cavern miles beneath the deep that no human will ever see. The most splendid and glorious gem that earth has ever produced, no human will ever see. And God's like, I see it, and I love it. That was just, that's just for my glory. The next line goes, Full, full many a flower born to blush unseen and waste its sweetness on the desert air. The most beautiful flower in the world is probably in some Arabian desert where it will bloom, it will be glorious, and if you saw it, you would immediately weep, and no one will ever see it. And it's just going to give off its fragrance and die, and no one will ever know. And God's like, I know, I did that for my glory. And I'm up up to all kinds of things, right? I'm I'm the sovereign Lord of the whole universe. Does everybody understand? You've got to get this lens right, okay? He is absolutely sovereign. He is doing stuff in your life beyond way. He sees everything. sees the beginning from the end. That's this lens. This lens. and, And you see why you need this lens. At some point you go, well, then why does God even care about me? I mean, what is man that thou art mindful of him? It would make you want to say if you were Psalm 8. What, why, why? I mean, I must be so tiny. I must be so insignificant. And that you could turn anywhere in the scriptures. But again, my favorite would probably be something like uh, uh, Psalm 139. And this is a favorite psalm of many people. But you talk about, okay, so here he is sovereign. Here he is making uh, uh, gems in like, <laughs> you know, a dark, unfathomed cave of ocean just to show off. But then he not only makes gems, he makes gem. In Psalm 139.7, look what he says. Uh, I mean, I mean uh, sorry, 13. David says, it was you, If he realizes, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you. He starts to realize, like, you didn't just make sun, moon, and stars, and Pluto that is fifty seven thousandth just to the cloud that marks the edge of our solar system. He says, no, 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 you've made me. I'll praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this very well. And then he says, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. And that's when I think his mind explodes. He's like, he's starting to do the math. He's like... Wait a minute, I I wasn't formed in the depths of the earth. Who was formed from the actual depths of the earth? It was Adam, right? But he starts doing the math on that. He's like, well, I had a mom who had a mom who had a mom. And he goes all the way back. I had parents who had parents who had parents. And he realizes something. He's like, wait a minute. So when God reached in and breathed the breath of life into Adam, he not only gave life to Adam and Eve, but he gave to, to them the potential for all future life. Like I was in Adam then when he formed the first when God made an oak tree in the garden of Eden, he made the potential for every future oak tree throughout like time and eternity. And his mind explodes. And you saw that. Your, and then it just showstopper. This just dropped the mic. Your eyes saw my unformed body. When you were in your mother's womb, God. I saw your unformed body. And even before conception, there's a moment right before the artist sculpts this beautiful sculpture. Right before, right before she paints some beautiful painting, there's a moment where the artist conceptualizes what it's going to be. Now ponder this. There was a moment before God formed you that he thought, hmm, and made you. He saw what he saw your unformed body. That's why you have to be given respect. You have to be given love. Why? You're not some chemical accident. You were made in the image of God and handmade in this way, not just stamped Richters. I mean, I know we all look alike, but you know what I mean? Like what, right? But to think that, and you were not an accident. God was not like making you, making you, and then got distracted, hooked your nose. Oh my um, my bad. I'll be with you, like, <laughs> right? You're not an accident. You got at some point. You got to stop. You got to stop wanting to be somebody else, because you're really denying the uniqueness that He gave to you. See, what's your thing? You know, I've already got at least a th- one thing, probably more. Mine is I do not have the ability to talk quiet. Not going to happen, you know? We're in a restaurant. Jackie, did you see that lady? Yeah, you know I can hear you, right? I'm I'm right here. You know? every time. And I know, I get all these dirty looks. I really think I'm whispering. I don't know if I can't hear. I don't know what it is, but I really think. And I get these looks in a restaurant like, will you be quiet? I'm like, Psalm 139! God made me. What's your thing? You probably got things. So the hugeness of God... Now, if you promise that you will wear these lenses, okay, that the, 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 the utter massiveness of God, coupled with the other part of our 3D lens, is the intimacy with which he knows you. He, I mean, he saw your unformed body. Oh, 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 what about this one? All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So you know all your days and all the intimate details of your life? Yeah, he knew them. with those two lenses, now we're ready. Look at the lenses. Get the lenses on. He is massively sovereign. He does it. He doesn't just allow stuff. He does it. He does it. And, uh, and he loves you and is intimately involved in every area of your life. Now, watch. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. If you're a person who writes in your Bible, you need to underline everything. And perhaps you need to underline season for everything. Not some things, for everything. And then he lists them a time to be born time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek. A time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silent, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. Now, when we we read that, um, I just want you to, to be reminded briefly how, how famous this poem is. I hear it read at funerals, I hear it read at weddings, and I'm happy for that. I think it's a beautiful time to read it, it's a very appropriate time. H- here's the problem. I hear people with no belief in God, people who are atheistic in their worldview, and they'll say things like this, yeah, you know, that, 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 that's, that's really beautiful. There's a time for everything, a time to be born, a time to die. And, 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 and they even sort of agree with this, and I'm going... How, how could you possibly agree with this? Even if mentally you do, how do you have the courage, emotionally, to even possibly begin to agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. time to die, time to... Well, who, who, who sends birth and death into the human existence? Uh, well, who causes the time to weep or the time to laugh? Uh, just, just the cruel hand of fate, I guess. How do you sleep at night? That's horrifying. That is absolutely terrifying. You ever hear people say, look, man, only God can judge me. That should scare you to death, bro. Listen to the words coming out of your mouth. The only part, fine. God will judge you. That's unreal to me, right? Well, you know, hey, I guess I I just kind of float through life and everything just, you know, yeah, there's just a time and a season for everything. That is not the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is there's a time and a season for every matter under heaven, and it is God who's sovereign over all of it. The God who sees the end from the beginning and the God who cares about your life. That's huge. Now, it's more comforting, but at first it actually may sound less comforting. Let me explain. In every one of these, okay, in every one of these, this is a hard pill to swallow. Here's why. God mixes all these ingredients together like a cake that he's baking. And I know for me, I personally do not want God's cake. I want God's buffet. That's bad. Right? You guys with me? Watch. A time to be born and a time to die. Um, I'll choose born. <laughs> a time to plant. Planting is hard work. I grew up in Kentucky. I don't want to do that. A time to go harvest and get the rewards. I'll choose harvest. Hard work? No, thank you. You see, I like to go through God's buffet. And say, no, 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 I don't want that ingredient in what you're doing. I want this ingredient. A time to kill and a time to heal. I'll take healing, right? A time to break down and a time to build up. Unless that's like a 90s hip-hop song where they're like, break it down. I want build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Are you kidding me? Hold the weeping in my life, God, just the laughter. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And unless you're Baptist, you choose dance. (laughs) You don't, right? A time to cast away stones. You get what I'm saying? A time to seek, a time to lose. Everybody wants to seek. Nobody wants to lose stuff. A time to keep, a time to cast away. You, you, guys, are, you guys are with me, right? I don't want these ingredients. I don't want them. A time to tear. No, 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 no. Keep silent. I, I'm not sure even what that would look like in my life. A time to love. A time to hate. Who would choose hate? Who would choose war? These don't make sense to us. No God. no, 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 no. If I were God, I would choose none of the things that sting. None of the things that bother me. I would choose none of the things that I see as bad. Only what I see as good. I would fill my life up with the buffet of laughter and of of, of, uh, uh, building up and of harvesting. And I would not choose those other things. And God loves me too much to allow me to do that. And that's what's so hard for me to see. Because if I were given the privilege of choosing all that stuff, I would make an absolute wreck of my life. I would wreck it. And meanwhile, God said, well, I'm, I'm making for you the, this, all these ingredients and it's going to take them all. And he knows. And we see why. People who are never stretched, never hurt. They, they never mourn. They turn out to be self-centered and spoiled and vicious. And God sends in his eternal mind, the mind that sees everything, the right ingredients into our life. And I know, no, listen, when it comes to cake, I have zero, absolutely zero friends who love to sit and eat a bowl of raw flour. <laughs> Nobody does that. And then when they're done with that, mm, now on to the eggs. And they just drink raw eggs, right? And then a big bowl of sugar. <laughs> I actually have friends who would. But, but that misses the point, Right? All this stuff. And yet, all of my friends love cake. All, it, hey, nobody likes these individual ingredients, but we all like the cake when it's baked together. You know, you know this is true. In your own life, look back. Yes, you, in the time, you only wanted the good things. But if I said to you, if you could right now delete all the pain you've ever been through, you and I both know you wouldn't do it. Why? You'd say, that did something in my life. And it matters. And I don't know, Tom, I can't explain it, but I wouldn't want you to take away. Now listen, in the middle of it, Yes, sir, take it away, now. But years later, isn't it true? You've already proven the truth of this scripture just by your own experience. Not that this needs to be proven, but you know in your heart. You would say, no, these are the things that sort of form me who I am, you know? I even know, you know, some people with their scars. You ever met me? Oh, let me tell you the story on this one, right? Let me, right? Even the scars, even the wounded things. In a way, after a season, for some people, they're, they're sort of, they become these stories by which they can talk about the person they become. There's a time and a season for everything, but there's also a purpose. He's not going to leave us hanging. He's going to show us the point of these things in his time. He gives three reasons why. I've kind of just been flipping back and forth through the poem, but now let, let's move on. He says, what, what gain has the work from his toil? I've seen the business that God's given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made, I call them 11A, 11B, 11C, because he gives these three reasons. We'll go through them quickly and be done. But notice, he has, this is, oh, so good. Some people say, Hebrew, Ecclesiastes 3.11, Uh, For some people, it's their favorite verse. You see why. Look at this first part. He has made, God has made, everything beautiful in its time. Okay. I don't know which part of this verse you need to underline. For some of you, you need to underline the word time. Because God is going to make everything beautiful out of the suffering in your life. You just haven't given him enough time. And your time frame may not be the one God has. And I know there are a lot of people that are like, God, I, I'd be okay with this if, you know, if you would just show me. L- listen, if you're going through suffering right now, listen very carefully. Your, your comfort is not in the fact. You are not promised that God will one day in your lifetime make sense of all the bad things you're going through. Your hope and your comfort is not in that. And just, this is going to be brutal, but I love you. God has not actually promised that to you. You may go to your grave never knowing why. 9-11 or that cancer or that thing, okay? Here's the point. Your hope and your comfort is not in figuring out the reason. Your hope and your comfort is in God. And you say, but Tom, if I, tr- if, I, if I have this God thing in my life without knowing the reason, that would require, I don't know, faith in God. Right? Right. And I know a lot of people that they do learn the reason and it didn't actually. It wasn't the panacea they thought it was. When they do begin to see reasons for why God did what he did, even then it doesn't always work. But in, his, in its time, we, we're like, God, make everything beautiful and make it beautiful now, right? He, the promise is there, but it'll be in his time. For others of you, it's everything beautiful. You need to underline the word beautiful. You think, no, this can't be redeemed. This is too ugly. Underline the word everything. Everything beautiful in its time. Even things in this world that are ugly, God is working to redeem and, and not for nothing, you may underline the word he, as in God is the one who makes everything. I've heard people say, well, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time can help, but God heals all wounds. He may use time to do it, but what are you talking about? Fate is not your friend here. It's not going to help. God is actively making all things beautiful in his time. Now, I, there are a million ways to illustrate this. A lot of people pick like very simple things. Remember a few months ago, I was on an airplane that ended up having this sort of crash landing. Nobody was hurt or whatever, but it was the plane that I was supposed to get on. You remember this story? I was like supposed to be on it, but then I, got, I was delayed and I was all mad. And then it turns out like that's the plane. And I'm 200 pounds. I would have been enough weight to put it into the ocean. You know, so I'm thinking, you know, and we go back and look at this, but there's a million ways to look at this. Here, here's the thing. When it comes to evil and suffering in our life, as long as there have been looms, there have been preachers who have used the illustration of the loom. I'm talking about weavers. I'm talking about loom. I am thoroughly convinced that God did not give humanity looms for rugs and tapestries, but so that preachers would have this killer illustration. The first time a preacher walked in and saw someone looming, he was like, "That's it. Right, Romans 8:28. Here's the point. When you make a tapestry, when you make this weaver is doing all I'm not this is the looming motion that I'm certain they use. I'm just Sure. But right, you're weaving, sort of rowing and weaving. You're getting it done, right? Here's the deal. Every single human being looks at the back of a tapestry. There's a tapestry hanging over there, and I should have brought it up here and turned around. Every human looks at the back of the tapestry, and what do they see? A gnarled, tangled train wreck. On the back of the tapestry is, I mean, knots going from here to here. And this one's just a dead end. This is just dead end. That knot just ends. And this one connects over here. It has no business connecting over here. That's the wrong color. It has nothing to do with that. Our whole life is spent on the back of the tapestry. And then in heaven, oh, oh. See, I'm convinced every Christian's first word in heaven will be, we're looking at God like well if you had told me all that God's like if I had told you all that your head would you that would be heaven see if I told you all that you'd be God and really I think about that sometimes what if he did explain to us God why I want to answer that 1,500 years from now, there'll be an alpaca in Peru. Amen. And you'd be like, what, what? I don't understand. I know. See, that's the thing about weaving all of the universe together. Outside your pay scale. So... I can either walk you through second by second on how this thread gets to that alpaca in Peru and it's gonna be glory it's gonna glorify me Yo, it's I've got this one Oh, <laughs> but here's the thing you don't have 1500 years so instead I've given you Ecclesiastes 311 and Romans 8:28, and you know call me in the morning like that, that <laughs> it's the back of the tapestry man you're staring at the back of the tapestry mad at God And he's saying he has made everything beautiful in its time. I would not choose pain. I would not choose suffering. And if you're going through suffering right now, I get it. I would want out too. But our hope is not in the running from suffering. And our hope is not, well, this is just what happens. Fate has dealt me a bad hand. Our hope is that a sovereign God put that suffering in your life for his glory. And to be able to preach that at a church that's not your own is a great advantage. Because when I look at you, I don't know your story. You see what I'm getting at? Because some of you are in real pain right now. And so I can just say, because I don't know that, I'm free to say, that's true. Whether it's painful to hear or not, that's the Bible truth. The guy that was blind from birth in John 9, well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? And he's sitting there like... Guys, I'm blind, not deaf. Like, they're having this theological discussion. Right? Come on, man. So, sure, let's hear it again. Who sinned? Because if you say I sinned, what, you guys didn't sin? Did I sin in utero? That's not fair. Or if you say my parents sinned, what, your parents didn't sin? James, John. Your dad is called Thunder. Like you, We know. Come on, that's not fair either. So which is it? Which is it? I sinned or my parents. I've heard it all. None of it makes sense. And Jesus walks up and says something that no one had ever heard. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus replied in John 9. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. When God made that man, he left out his eyesight the first time so he could restore it. In John nine, and bring glory to God, but that's not real encouraging when he's fifteen and he can't go out and play. You get what I'm saying? It's not encouraging when he is begging for every morsel of his life, and everybody else gets to go out and earn a living. But it's been encouraging for the last two thousand years to me, and probably some missionary in Peru. See all links. Yeah. I mean that's that's pretty much it. The the, the the next part of the verse says, also, like I mean. That's such a great also. That pretty much shuts the mouth of everybody. Oh, but, you know, in addition, he has put eternity into man's heart. Right. That's that groove from last week. Just get the podcast and go back and listen. He, you know, he, the reason you can't be filled by finite things, there, there's a reason. Part of the reason of pain in our life, God is getting our attention going. Hey, you keep filling up your life with stuff. It's not working, is it? No, good, let's talk. Uh, and then the last... Yet, and this is the hardest part, he cannot, man cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I kind of got ahead of myself and already preached that, so I think you got the point. Your hope is not that God will reveal his great plan to you. His hope, your hope, is in God. So, let's get to the end of the matter. What does he say? Well, you know, there's nothing better for people to do than be joyful, be good as long as they live. Everyone should eat, drink, take toil, and, you know, take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. Okay, so God, you know, wants us to, You know, what does that mean? Well, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. (laughs) That's not fear like we're cowardly afraid of God. That is the holy fear and reverence of an awesome God. And to be his, listen, to be his creature and to be able to say, you are God, I am not, and I trust you. That is a holy, reverent, and to lean deeper into God this morning when you're in the midst of that suffering that's Ecclesiastes 3 to be able to say God I trust you even when I do not see what is going on and you say but Tom you don't understand my marriage right now there's some ugly things he's made everything beautiful in it's time but you understand my kids I'm, I'm scared to death oh your kids right I remember forming them out of the depths of the earth like he knew your kids before you knew your kids he's got that you can lean into that truth you can rest in that in a way that you can't rest in fate fate hates you at best fate's neutral which is even worse but God can rest in this you can fear him and when you fear him you know what you can do you can eat you can drink you can take pleasure in in your toil in your work everything's charged with meaning with God or it's utterly meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. It's utterly meaningless and a vanity without God. Ecclesiastes just forces you to choose. I mean, you, you just got to pick a team, right? I mean, he's saying your life is either charged with meaning in the hands of a holy God, and you either believe that he is sovereign and he is put, He didn't just allow that suffering in your life, he put it there. I'm okay to say that. Because what's the difference at the end of the day? He had the power to stop it. And I trust in a sovereign God who knows what he's doing more than me. And on bad days, I don't. So pray for me and we'll pray for each other, right? I mean, but that's the key is to keep that that in our hearts. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good gift of the table that we have partaken of. And I pray that it would put fresh vigor into our faith. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a community to spur one another onward, to love each other. We're not walking through this alone. Thank you that no Christian has to suffer alone. But even, we don't even have to suffer alone among earthly friends. We have the visible body here. Father, I pray that uh, on our bad days, when all we think of suffering is that it's bad and we have to run from it, that you would somehow grant us the grace to have Ecclesiastes 3 brought to life in our minds. And that uh, we will trust all of us who are on the wrong side of the tapestry would hang on until that great and glorious unveiling. Until then, we as pilgrims, we trust you that you have not left us alone and you will guide us safely home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.